Hello and welcome to Stock Talk, a podcast series which brings together livestock specialists, vets and farmers to give you the tools you need to improve your business and embrace the future. Stock Talk is presented by myself, Robert Ramsey, and produced by Kirsten Blackwood as part of the Farm Advisory Service in association with the Scottish Government. So on today's episode of Stock Talk, I'm joined by Rona McAllister, who is a genomic specialist from Zoetis. So hello to you, Rona. How are you? Hello. Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. No, a pleasure. It's um, So certainly the genomic world is something we hear a lot about, but maybe we don't all understand, or certainly I, th- I think if we're needing knowledge from that, we've, we've, uh, we've found the right person. So a uh, I'm expecting we'll be talking to a range of understandings of genomics. So if we can just, I suppose, from a, an entry level perspective, what what do you do? So what is your role at Zoetis? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, so my role in particular is, is quite mixed because I've been involved with a lot. I've been with Zoetis for four years now. Um, so that was very much when genomics was still in its infancy within the UK. And over that time frame, I've been involved in a lot of the process from helping to educate people on exactly what genomics is, how they can use and understand the data, how it all ties into a breeding plan. Um, so everything really from start to finish, including um, taking samples on farm and also looking at some of the, the top line commercial aspect of it as well. So in terms, uh, in terms of how we best set up different business partnerships as well to make sure that we're giving our customers a full holistic approach to their breeding from start to finish. Yeah. Um, so in your role, are you purely commercial? Or are you doing research work as well? Or does, does, a, does the commercial work become research work as well? Yes, so it's it's sort of a mix of both. Um, So most recently, most of it has been commercial based, albeit we are looking to start implementing more studies in the UK. So we've kind of dabbled with it in the past. We have a lot of research studies that's uh, given to us by the US, but we're more interested in starting to get more local information. So exactly what impact do we see in the UK through selecting through various indexes? And I can explain exactly what indexes is as we go through the talk as well. Yeah, yeah. No, that'll be good. I, I think t- from a, a starting point of view, it'd be good to have that. So we know genomics is obviously a, a new branch of genetic or our understanding of genetics we certainly my in the the beef and sheep world we're, we're pretty used to ebvs and it, certainly they've landed in a we've got a different weighting for different people some people are, are true believers and some people are maybe less the less enthusiastic about, about ebvs but obviously the same for breeding indexes and things for dairy cows as well they've been on the go for a long time what's the difference between EBVs and and dairy indices and actual true genomics? Yeah, so I suppose if you're looking at EBVs, um, I think the most similar concept that we have is possibly looking at parent average. So it's taken into effect some of the the pedigree connections and how many generations all tie into it. Whereas when we're looking at um, genomics in particular, it's looking at everything on more an individual basis. Um, yeah, so we're basically looking at what comes from the DNA and then it gets passed through an evaluation process and that's how we get the results from it. So 
when we're look when we're talking about indexes, that's something that's completely different. So indexes are designed as an easy making selection tool for the farmers. So rather than a farmer specifically looking at maybe five, 10 different traits and what they deem to be desirable, they can look at one selection index to make their decisions from. So ultimately, genomics has taken out a lot of the guesswork. It's for farmers to be able to make confident breeding decisions. Um, so there's different indexes that you'll get across the globe. So if our product in particular offers 14 different indexes. So it's about finding the right index that ties in with what your breeding goals are. Yeah. So the, the genomics element, somebody put it to me that EBVs are estimated based on family performance and the more information that goes in the more accurate they become but they're still based on averages of family performance whereas the genomic element take the e out it's a breeding value rather than an estimated breeding yes. value we can be more yeah. confident um so yeah your your product what what is your product and what what do you this is the time you can have a shameless plug for your product <laughs> Yeah, so um, our most popular one anyway would, would be Clarified Plus. So it's a heifer genomics. Um, I would deem Clarified Plus to essentially be a, a fully comprehensive test. Um, so it gives you access to both US and UK evaluations. Um, and it also includes the Zoetis specific traits as well. So the Dairy Wellness Profit Index, as well as 14 different animal health traits as well. So that's what really makes it quite unique compared to what else is on the market. Outside of that, there's a whole host of other things that's included. So, um, for example, we can have a look at parentage connections that come through. We go quite in depth into some of the genetic conditions as well. So we can actually breed more closely looking at horn pole status, coat colour and some other genetic conditions surrounding infertility, haplotypes and other recessive disorders as well. So there's really a lot of information just from one small wee tissue sample. And it becomes a lot of these things are now quite binary, aren't they? They're, they're, I suppose some of them aren't production stuff, isn't? But pole, polled and horned things like that. There's, there's where we can the assumptions out it. The things either on or off. So we've got so much more valuable, accurate information compared to what we did in the past. Yes, exactly. So as I say, genomics is designed to help people make confident breeding decisions. So whilst it might not be 100% perfect, it's certainly the closest thing that we have to it. So again, it's just taken out a lot of the, the guesswork that people might have. You know, when you're looking at your milk and hair, you've already got a general idea of overall performance. So how much milk is she given? What do her components look like? How easy was she to get in calf? But when we're looking at it from a young stock perspective, you can only tell so much from looking at the animal or by guessing from her mother's performance about exactly what her future potential looks like. And that's why genomics is, is there. As I say, it's taken out a lot of the guesswork. Yeah. And does it also help? So one of the the frustrations, and, and I'm, again, I'm coming at it from the beef side, um, but one of the frustrations with EBVs has been the the lack of 
figures for linear traits. So we see linear trait classification um, looking at feet and legs and other placement and all, all that, those difficult to define things. Does genomic selection have a, is there a better opportunity in here to deal with some of this stuff or is it also still quite a, so is there still the role for the stocksman in there to, um, to deal with the linear stuff? I would say so. I mean, that's a topic that's usually up for debate, but I would say so because ultimately it's that classification information feeding into the big data pool that makes that information more reliable. What's interesting is that when we're looking at specific health-based traits, they do factor in a level of type information. So, for example, if we're looking at a mastitis trait, it's going to factor in some of the other type traits. If we're looking at the lameness trait, it will factor in some of the feet and leg components. So there's elements of type-based traits all throughout um, different indexes as well. But, um, but yes, everything that feeds into this big data pool just makes the information more, more and more reliable. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. So... What about if we take, let's take clarified plus. So let's make me the client. So I'm, if I'm phoning you up and asking, you know, what, what services you can provide, how does clarified plus work and what's the advantage? So what do you do and what do I get? And also maybe how much does it cost? Yeah. So first and foremost, um, with us being Zoetis, um, it's independent advice that you're getting. So we can be very impartial in the advice that we give. So we're not trying to tie you into a specific contract. We don't have any other hidden agendas. So we're purely looking at it from a point of view that we want to help people breed healthier and longer lasting animals and ultimately profitability being the end goal. So we don't really have any other hidden agendas there. So that impartial advice um, is something that a lot of our customers value. In terms of the product itself, so as I said, it's a fully comprehensive test. So it's it's looking at US and UK evaluations. And within that, you get a wealth of information from that. What's unique about Clarified Plus is, of course, the fact that you've got the Zoetis wellness traits. So we have 14 different wellness traits in total. Um, we've been doing this a long time now. So a lot of these traits are ones that we've specifically developed within our own lab. And that also ties into our unique index as well, DWP or Daily Wellness Profit. So and ultimately, in terms of what you're kind of breeding for, if DWP is the right fit for you, it's aiming for a well-rounded animal. So it's looking for animals that are going to produce good quality liters, getting calf a bit easier, be more feed efficient and less susceptible to disease. So we're not pushing one area over another and risking compromising other traits as a result of focusing too heavily in one area. So ultimately what we're trying to achieve is all, all these traits coming up simultaneously. So it's it's kind of, as I say, it's, it's aiming for that well-rounded animal. Um, in terms of the, the process and timeline, so it's, it's quite similar across the industry. So you can take various different types of samples. Um, so more commonly, it tends to be either a tissue sample or a hair sample. Tissue is probably the most popular one. So um, farmer takes a sample. Um, we kind of collate everything and send it to our lab in the US. And usually the farmer would have their results within three to five weeks. What happens after that is a Zoetis rep will come out with one of our business partners and we'll um, talk the farmer through the results. 
So all our results feed into an online portal called SearchPoint. And that has a lot of very useful tools for farmers as well. So what we do is we kind of do a deep dive analysis. So we'll find out where the strengths and weaknesses are throughout the herd so that it can give us extra focus on what we need to look for from bull selection. Um, can lead into mating, uh, mating discussions as well. And from there, it's not only about helping the farmer to understand the information, but it's what, he, what they do next with it that's really important. So it's being able to take that and tie it into a breeding plan. Um, from there, we'll also aim to, well, depending on the size of the farm, we'll either aim to come out once a year or once a quarter and just keep an eye on the genetic progress. So it's making sure that everything's going in the right direction. And if there's anything that needs to be tweaked within the breeding plan, we give our recommendations for that as well. So there is quite a lot of ongoing support to make sure that everything's working for the farmer the way that it should. Um, so in terms of um, pricing, we work with different business partners. So there's different ways that people can buy Clarified Plus. So they can either buy it through um, some vet practices throughout the UK are selling it, um, NMR. And we've also started up a partnership with Worldwide Sires as well. So the prices may vary depending on who it is that um, they're choosing to buy through. But ultimately, the top list price is 38.75. But for people who are starting off for the first time, we do have a new user offer in place. So, and that's kind of designed so that if people are doing two age groups in one go, it kind of lessens the blow for them. And the way that that user offer works is that it's for their first submission for up to 100 animals and every fourth test is free. So, in other words, if someone's testing 100 animals in the first go, 25 of those animals would be free of charge. We're looking obviously at, at at matching the right heifer to the right bull, and obviously that that the partnership with other genetics companies and things is obviously really important there. Does it also? Do you find if we do say we 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 test a hundred heifers, does it also? Do you get the ones where you just say don't breed them, the ones that are are the figures are the lowest twenty percent or something? Do we just drop them out of the system? Uh, possibly. It depends on the the farm, the results and what situation they're in as well. So some people might be in a position to sell young stock. Some people could be in a, a high TB risk area and they're not in a position to do it. So it's completely dependent on the farmer. There's usually a big misconception that everyone has that their young stock are going to have the best genetics on farm. That's never the case. What we tend to find is that the bottom end of your heifers are always going to be worse than the top end of your cows. So usually it's a slight change in mindset because some people say, well, I just put sex semen into all of my young stock when actually it can be more advantageous just to redistribute that sex semen usage and use it in more of the top end of the cows. And then for the young stock that are less profitable, it means that you can either make a decision on whether you want to sell them or whether you just put them straight to beef. So there's different things you can do with the information. Yeah, I find it interesting in the dairy world, you know, the rate of genetic progress is amazing and, and sped up massively by this stuff. Yeah. But I do wonder whether when we select, you know, the, the best genetics, and we hear it all the time, the best genetics are in the heifers. Are we actually, or do we risk selecting against longevity that to me the best the best genetics in that dairy herd is the cows that are hitting the absolute targets that have been there for five or six lactations 
and not put a foot wrong. So the heifer that's got with loads of potential, but only lasts two years, isn't really what we want to be breeding the future yeah, I, cow from. I would agree with you. Yeah. So we, we talk about um, longevity driven profit. So, and ultimately there's two ways you can break it down. So first and foremost, if we're thinking on rearing costs on farm and what's associated with that. So the average rearing cost from birth up until first calving, on average in the UK, it's £1,800 a head. And when we think about when exactly does she pay off those rearing costs, typically it's not until peak milk and second lactation. So that's when she breaks even. And it's from that point onwards that she would be bringing money into the business or profit. So there's two things you can do with that information. So first and foremost, if we can tell from a calf, from the genetics, that she's actually, it's not likely that she'll even see the, the milk and herd, you can make that decision about what to do with her slightly earlier and save yourself all those reading costs. So that's one thing you can do. The other thing to think about is, as you've said, it's aiming for that longevity. So, you know, ultimately we want as many animals as possible to be getting to third, fourth and fifth lactation because providing that they're not given too much bother from a fertility or a health point of view, those are your money makers. So what we try to do, and a lot of it comes into a lot of the health traits that we have, but there are specific traits that you can look at to aim for that longevity alongside production as well. So, yeah, so longevity has a very big focus when it comes to what we recommend to our farmers. So you you are right. But yes, it's definitely more advantageous to focus on the areas where the animals are performing really well and maybe just chipping away that bottom end of your heifers, whether it's selling them beef, whatever. Yeah. And and it's really where what what this does is allows you to target you said it already, but you target the best genetic you, you target the best cows you've got whether they're heifers or cows to breed your replacements from and then the beef bull the power of that now sex semen into the best of them and the beef bull we now we now have i think it's, it's colossal now when you see our kind of airs at our average dairy farms probably about 200 cows and the, the numbers of store cattle that are coming out of those those businesses now compared to what they were 10 years ago and and also the quality of the store cattle coming out of them, it's a, it's an amazing new enterprise that's arrived in a dairy business. But it's actually the thing. It's a nice wee cash flow boost. But it's also the thing that's pushing their whole. You know, it's, it's massively important to boost in their tank as well because the, the the rubbish are going out out the system. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and and this obviously is the next the next step to kicking that on even further and I, I've, I find it really interesting to see how for, in my career probably I started in here in 2010 and at that stage we were probably still suffering from the having chased milk for too long and the Holstein cow was pretty it wouldn't be at its worst but it, you know there, there were some welfare issues and lameness and fertility were big problems and, and the dairy industry has fairly stepped up to the plate in terms of I think it's professionalism of the industry um, routine foot trimming and those routine procedures that are done but also I mean the, the backbone of it is genetic gain genetic progress and I think what's interesting is that that progress it should be diminishing returns it should be harder to get but as we see tools like this coming in 
we're actually accelerating genetic progress rather than seeing it seeing it decline. So when I started, there were a few people doing 10,000 litres, 10,000 litre averages, and they were, they, they weren't remarkable, but they were, you know, they were noteworthy. And most people would be a couple of thousand litres less than that. Now, pretty much, with the exception of different systems, spring calvers and various systems, but the, the conventional all year round calving Holstein cow in Ayrshire now is doing 10,000 litres you know across the board so it's amazing so with that where do you see the future so this is the crystal ball but we've done the bit that's all about facts but where do you think the next 5 10 20 years goes so for us we're talking about carbon and climate change daily you will be too everyone is that's that's where we're going and i think our role as farmers in the in the climate change discussion is changing and our the value of food and the importance of food is certainly coming to the fore and our understanding of how farming works in a climate change context is changing which is good but it's not a it's not a curtain to hide behind you know we do have an issue and we do have things we need to sort out so where do you think the next let's say 20 years where do you think we're, we're going and where do you think we'll get to it's an interesting question because even over the last five years, the landscape has just changed so dramatically. I guess looking at it from a sustainability point of view, and that seems to be the, the main buzzword at the moment is sustainability. And everyone automatically jumps to the environmental side of things. But sustain sustainability is so much more than just the environmental impact. Um, there's a lot of things that it all ties into on farm. Ultimately, if we can breed for animals who are going to be healthier, living longer, giving us more milk, but requiring less feed in order to do so, there's a whole host of things on how that impacts overall sustainability. So by aiming to improve the genetics, which there, there are short term gains that you can have, but the long term gains are what you want that herd to look like. And it can take a while before you see the impact on farm. But generally, if we are breeding in the right way um, and aiming for these longer living, healthier animals, you do tend to see from studies that we've done in the US, there is evidence to show that the farms and animals with superior genetics, they have more milk production, there's less antibiotics used on farm, less heifers are needed as replacements, um, less labour for health. So there's a whole host of things of how it ties in. And that's that's just one element of it. But as I say, you also have the environmental, uh, environmental impact as well. So there's a lot of studies going into, you know, how we look at how we breed for less methane emission, for example. Um, but, you know, the nuts and bolts of it is if you're breeding longer, happier cows, the less animals that you have following through for replacements, the more that's going to limit your environmental impact as well. So there's a lot of different things there. Yeah, there's one, and this is a kind of off the wall one, but there's one that I've heard mentioned a couple of times, kind of whispered, but not really um, out there, is longer lactations. So do we find, are, are we, so if we, if we assume the fixed cost in the system is the methane from the rumen, the dairy cow's got a unique ability, she can give you, 10 tonnes of milk out that rumen, well not out the rumen, but out the system for the, the cost of the methane. So the inefficient time for her 
it's a rearing cost which we've dealt with by calving in some well two-year-old calving's routine some people are calving several months less than that so we've got a short a short rearing to get to a high yielding cow but we still have this almost annual cycle of drying off two months dry the cow with the lowest carbon footprint would be the cow that calves once and milks for 2000 days or and that's obviously pie in the sky that's that's crazy yep. um, yep. but do you think we'll see a point where we get to with genomics we can stretch the peak so we can actually have cows that will peak high for longer and actually not need to dry them off and have a 400 day calving interval when we get to 500 days it's definitely possible because um, at the moment on the CDCB evaluations, there's a trait called productive life. Um, it's not quite the same, but along this, the same kind of thread. So the way you can interpret the results from that is it's suggesting how many more or less months of lactation over her lifetime is she going to give compared to the average animal? So, for example, if you have you might have an animal that's sitting with a productive life result of six. So that suggests that she's going to give an extra half year worth of milk compared to the average animal. So there's already similar ones that are there. So it's the more data that starts feeding in, the more that we can work on this research and come up with traits that have very high reliabilities that's going to help us to, to start to achieve that. So there are similar ones there. Um, so that's one element, but there's a whole host of other ones that relates to feed efficiency, which I think is going to take a bigger focus in the future as well. Yeah, yeah. And the the milk from forage thing, the you know, true feed efficiency, actually milk produced from home produced feed is one, because I, I think the, from the, again, outside looking in, the dairy industry have pushed genetics and pushed nutrition to, to get, ultimate yield but um some of that nutrition is imported some of it's not very sustainable you know we do have that a uh, the reliance on soya the reliance on imported stuff which is all fine and all good for a you know in, in a carbon footprint only context is fine from a wider sustainability story there may be more pressure comes on to that so i think the more but the more data we have and the more understanding we have of the genetics in our cows and what they can do if we look at the progress we've made in the last 20 years the next 20 years i think is it's really pretty pretty bright for for those that want to stay in dairying and continue pushing these cows and pushing and we're not pushing cows actually that's the wrong thing to say we're pushing the potential of the cow the cow is yes. actually sitting uh -huh. comfortable and happy and a in her sister. That was a wee shout out to the <laughs> the um, critics out there to the dairy industry. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, but yeah, you are right. I mean, when we're looking through the results with our farming customers, quite often we're speaking about the balance of it all. So it's what that animal's genetic potential is versus the overall environment. And it's those two things that combined is what is going to impact her overall performance on farm. So sometimes if I'm out seeing farmers, say for example, it's quite common for me to go out on farming people saying, well, I've been pushing more heavy on solids the last few years because that seems to be what the buyers are more interested in now. So it's not that uncommon for me to see that the fats and proteins are extremely strong in the genetics, but the milk's maybe falling behind as a result of it. 
And, you know, a farmer can say to me, you know, my animals are putting out 10, 11,000 liters. That doesn't make any sense. Why would that be? And, you know, it's, it's that balance. So we're basically what I would take from that is the farmers having to push the animals quite hard in terms of the feed in order to actually get the results out of that animal versus if we actually just put a bit more focus and lifting up the genetic potential, the farmer can start to ease off. Um, so yeah, there's a different balance between it. So feed efficiency is definitely one of those. Um, there's one trait in particular, which is really good to look at. It's fairly new. So we're still building up data. So the reliabilities are probably smaller than some of the other ones, but give that a couple of years, I think it would be the gold standard. And that's one called residual feed intake or RFI for short. So a lot of feed efficiency based traits, they have elements of stature within it. So a smaller animal requires less feed. Not, not very scientific in that. Whereas what residual feed intake looks at, so we look for animals that are going to give us a lot of liters, but not require as much feed as we expected them to in order to achieve that. And I think that's going to be a, a good one to keep an eye on over the next few years. So it's, it's not trying to breed taller animals or smaller animals. It's just purely looking at, well, how does she actually turn her feed into milk yeah and that, i think that's the, the holy grail that one actually is that you know the maintenance bit drives down cow size so you, you know it costs x amount of energy um it's usually 10 plus 10 isn't it or 10 percent plus 10 uh, in a mega joule context to maintain the animal's life however if we just if we just focus on that we chase 300 kilo, 300 kilo cows you know we go it, it goes crazy so you've got to find the one that produces more from less is actually yes, the exactly. that's the the wording for the whole climate change story even out with our industry if we can do more with less that you know that's the answer and and it's farmers have been frustrated by people saying they need to do more with less because it without you know all things being equal it's not possible whereas th this type of information this type of data does kick the thing way further down the road and allow people to, to to select things based on what they can't see yeah yeah and to be fair there's just small changes that a farmer can make to their breeding strategy that can lead to very quick gains in a short amount of time as well so it's not as if it's looking at a well to a certain degree it is a long-term project because you have to have faith that the system's going to work but it's just very small minor changes can make a huge difference within a generation or two so in terms of being a bit more selective about how we distribute semen usage um you know how how many heifers is optimum to have to make those selections um what we look for from our bulls as well that can have a big impact so it's just having discussions. Every farm's slightly different, but it's just giving those wee small nuggets of advice and we we see tremendous results in a very short amount of time. So it doesn't have to be revolutionary. It's just very small bite-sized chunks. Yeah. So we often hear, I was at AgriScot yesterday um, and it's always an amazing display of not only dairy cows, but the, the what the whole industry is about. But on the dairy front, pedigree guys are all talking about genomics and all, all mentioning certain traits and certain things. Is this something 
are you seeing more uptake in the pedigree world? There's obviously equal potential. The potential for it in a commercial herd is, is colossal as well. Mm. But are you seeing, did it, did it start with the pedigree guys and work down? To be honest, my experience anyway, I don't know if everyone's the same, but my experience is it's always been quite mixed. There's been the commercials, the pedigree, small farms, big farms. It's, it's always been quite mixed. The, the good thing is that there is something for everyone. Um, it just depends on how you wish to use the, the data because there's so much there. So, and again, it doesn't matter what calving system you're on, whether it's all year round, if it's a block system, there's, there's something for, for everyone. But um, definitely the pedigree ones are, are usually the ones that find it more difficult to put their trust in the system. Because if you get a low result for an animal, they'll say, well, her mother was absolutely fantastic. That just doesn't make sense to me. So sometimes the pedigree ones, it takes a bit more trust and convincing. But yes, yeah, so it's certainly something for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and often the pedigree world is where there, there is pushback to progress like this because it that's such a traditional, such a, you know, it's true stocksmanship and... I think sometimes see, people see it as a threat, at less so in the dairy. Um, but really, it's an opportunity to make these pedigree cows even better. And, yeah. and to me, if the pedigree guy, and again, I'm going to the beef world again, but if the pedigree guy is using stuff like this, it all trickles down the system. You know, the benefit of that, the next person gets. Um, so obviously the, the bulls that we are now putting into dairy cows, the AI sires, most of them will have genomic figures available. Uh, I would say all of them will, will they? Or the vast majority? By now they would be. Uh, yeah. I think it's been used in the semen world for about 10 years now, maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so even using those, understanding those to start with is powerful. But if we can also understand our own herd, one and one doesn't make three. It's more than that. Yeah, so it's it's interesting because we we've seen some studies as well, and there's quite a few nice graphs that we have, pretty graphs to show it. But if you look at sort of line of um, genetic gains before genomics was there at all, it's it's a fairly slow and steady line. If you look at the introduction of genomics on the sire side, it takes a massive incline. extremely steep so even that just introducing genomic sires is going to make a big difference for your genetic progress but when we look at the line of when you combine genomics on both sides so from heifer selection and also on your bulls it's a a massive steep line that we see so it just goes to show how quickly you can accelerate that potential just by introducing genomics on both sides and it doesn't have to be complicated or confusing so that's why indexes are there so on the heifer side find an index that works for you keep it nice and simple figure out how many heifers you need to put to sex and draw your line in the sand and the other ones can go to beef be sold whatever your situation is and then choose your bulls to complement what we see in the heifers. So identifying areas where the heifers are a bit weaker and use that from to introduce from the sire side. And that's kind of looking at a corrective mating style strategy, I would say. But it's just be small things like that and it amplifies everything so much. 
Yeah, awesome. I think that's a really good point. That's the first um, we've ever had a graph described on a podcast and I can picture it and I can see it and it it makes so much sense. Um, Rona, that's been really brilliant. It's a a starter for 10 genomics. I'm sure we could talk about till Christmas and beyond. It's a huge topic and really today was all about just an entry level, a bit of an understanding and, and really helping people to to make a start on that journey and, and really I think the answer the conclusion is pick up the phone or send an email to you guys or or whoever else because other other companies are available <laughs> um but have the conversation have the discussion and and see where you go with it because the the potential of this for I think for for all producers in all sectors is massive yeah, I would agree. I mean, there's a lot of people who kind of, they know roughly what genomics is, but they don't actually appreciate just how much information there is and how much of a difference it can make to their herd. So even just be willing to have people on your farm to talk about it, that's the first step. And if you decide it's not for you, then fair enough. But even just learning about everything you can do with it, it's, you know, it's it's thought provoking. And as I say, there is something for everyone i'm sure of it so yeah highly encouraged just to be open to discussion brilliant yep and we'll put some information in the show notes for this as well so people can can pick up a bit more on it so yeah rona that's been brilliant thank you very much and i think you'll be joining us again in a few months time for a a wee bit of a deep dive into the beef world as well yes uh looking forward to it thank you very much If you enjoyed listening to Stock Talk, you may enjoy some of our other podcasts, such as Crofting Matters, which is a 12-part monthly show that discusses all things crofting in Scotland, including livestock management. You may also enjoy our new podcast, Agriculture, which tells the stories of some interesting and influential people in the agricultural industry. Just search Crofting Matters or Agriculture wherever you get your podcasts from. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.